Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Signing day was yesterday. We will be joined, or we are joined, by Bill Green here in just a second to talk about the Bearcats 2020 haul, especially the 10 Ohio commitments. A lot of uh, a lot of talk on those guys here on the show today. Got a big win over Tennessee to talk about. Got first impressions of new athletic director John Cunningham. We've got a big game Saturday night in Chicago against the Iowa Hawkeyes to take a look at. So all that, and I'm sure much, much more here tonight on the BCJ Podcast. Let's get right to it and welcome in the director of scouting for 24-7 Sports in the state of Ohio, the one and only Mr. Bill Green. Bill, how are you this evening? Doing good, Chad. How are you guys doing? Can't complain, and even if I did, no one would listen. Dave, how about you? You good? Yeah, hanging in there, doing good, settling in for a little Lakers bucks, and glad to talk some recruiting with Bill. Well, I, I know you've got lots of questions, Dave, so I'll let you start off talking to Bill about the recruits from the state of Ohio that the Bearcats were able to land in this cycle. Absolutely. So, Bill, first off, obviously the headliner is Wyoming quarterback Evan Prater, and most of you know UC fans that are that are listening to this are are pretty familiar with him. But from a scouting standpoint, what did you guys look at, and what did you guys like the most to put him where you guys have? Because it's somewhere that UC really has never uh, been able to go before, as far as a player rated that highly so when you guys evaluate quarterbacks and evaluated Evan uh individually what were the things that stood out to you that you guys felt comfortable ranking him that high yeah well the first off is you know the obvious athletic ability the size you know he's a tall kid six three six four whatever he is and um the athletic ability you can see on the basketball court like he's amazing as an athlete so elite athlete and then you go to actually break down the film and the throwing motion the accuracy the arm strength the command of an offense the ability to make plays outside the pocket and then you get to the point where it's like holy crap this guy's you know he's he ranks with anybody that we've seen this year so he wasn't at first i think he was just kind of looked at as an ohio good guy and and chad and i talked about this last summer about you know we were going to take a a look at updating his ranking and you know we really got the national guys to look really close at evan and they came back and they were like no doubt this guy needs to be ranked much higher than what he is you know so we got the national guys on board and that you know evan ended up where he ended up you know and he deserves it i mean the best thing that i can say about evan is that you know, LSU wants him to replace Joe Burrow or wanted him to replace Joe Burrow and be there, you know, let Joe Brady, you know, tutor him. So what better of a compliment can you give a kid? I mean, and I think, you know, as I rank the Ohio kids, I would rank uh, Evan Prater above Joe Burrow when both are at the same stage of their career. I think Evan is, is way more mobile, way more athletic, and I think their arm skills are about the same and i think they're both super intelligent high iq kids so i would rank evan 
above Joe Burrow. Now, that's not to say Evans going to win the Heisman Trophy, but I think he's going to be pretty darn good. Bill, uh, to pull the curtain back a little bit, when we talk about, you know, we think a guy, maybe we can take him to the national guys and have them reevaluate and get him bumped up. Usually that's a pretty difficult process. It was not a difficult process for Evan. It was like, hey, can you take a look? And then you check the rankings, and all of a sudden he got the bump that that was probably even higher than we thought he was going to get at that point in time. And I think that that bump took about four hours, if yeah. I remember correctly. Because I think I, I think I told you, look, I, I've submitted it, and you know, I'll wait to see if they get back to me. If they don't, I'll resubmit it. I'll you know, I'll pound the table. I'll throw a fit. I'll cry. Well, heck, before I even got a chance to double-check it, you were texting me saying, hey, thanks for Evan's bump. And I'm like, what? You know, and I went on and looked, and it was like, wow, this is a lot higher than what I kind of asked for or pushed for. So they were sold. Like, so, you know, props to Evan. I mean, he worked his tail off, and, you know, this wasn't a gift, you know, because it's not like, you know, there's not a Bearcat bump. You know, like you get a Buckeye bump with some of these kids, you know, in the rankings. There's no Bearcat bump, man. This kid, he had to earn this, and and he did. I mean, he was, um, like I said, he was an easy, he was an easy guy to jump in the rankings and admit that, like, hey, we're wrong on this kid. He's better than where we have him ranked, and let's get this thing fixed today. And and that's exactly what happened. How much? Stock, do you guys put into something like the Army All-American game? Because I'm, I'm wondering, if he has a great game in that type of atmosphere, is there room to go up even more? Or do you guys not really take something like that into account at this portion of their high school career? No, they're definitely going to look at that. And the, the final rankings are not done. So now that we're crowing – you know, there could be two or three guys blow up in these all-star games and, and jump ahead of Evan, and then we'll have to be back on here next month yelling at me why he dropped. But, no, it definitely can make can make a difference. So um, we kind of saw it uh, going back a ways with Braxton Miller. When Braxton Miller's ranking dropped at the Under Armour game, he just can't – he hadn't picked up a ball since his season ended in November, and he waltzed down there into Florida just to get out of the Ohio winter and, he was there on vacation. He was there to have a good time. And Braxton didn't give a darn about a ranking. So he went out there. He can't throw the football at all. His arm looks like it's sore and it's hurting. And he was a, gained a little bit of weight. And you know, he wasn't Braxton. And he got knocked for it. So, yeah, that, that, this all-star game is going to be huge. The national guys will all be there. They will watch him every single day in practice. And they'll watch him in the game. And he can go up, he can go down, he can stay right where he is. But, no, there's still room for the rankings to be adjusted, and they do get adjusted all the way up to signing day. We'll stay in with the, with the local guys and move over to defense with, you know, two linebackers with Jaheim Thomas and David Jones. And they're kind of – they're a little bit different. One seems to be more of the – you know, David seems to be – a true linebacker in every sense and has played it consistently in high school where Jaheim has probably, you know, kind of floated it from a couple of different positions and has more of that, uh, you know, natural athletic ability that you look for. What are, what are a couple of things with both of those guys that you think will translate well once they get into Marcus Freeman's room and, you know, into the strength and conditioning program that have made, will make them, you know, 
productive players once they get here. Yeah, I like both of them a lot. Um, with David, I mean, David is a high energy, high intensity. He's looking to hit people. Um, he can run sideline to sideline. Played in a good program, you know, at Lakota West. Um, he is—he's he, a Mike to me. I think he's a middle guy. I think he could play on the outside, but I think he's going to get a lot bigger too, and he's going to be that physical thumper in the middle that helps control the running game. Um, I like him a lot. With Jaheim, Jaheim has a frame that man, he could grow into a defensive end and just be way, way, way too quick for offensive linemen to handle unless they're elite offensive linemen. So not totally convinced Jaheim stays a linebacker. I think he's a guy that could get into a college weight program, college strength and conditioning program, and just blow up. So I think that frame of his, there's a lot of room there to add some good weight for Jaheim. And if he can, you know, add some weight, keep his speed, he's going to play in the NFL someday. I mean, he has got a ton of talent. And he's a great kid, too. So is David. I mean, these guys are great kids. Their coaches rave about their work ethic. And that's that's usually the difference at the college level. The guys are all talented. I mean, they all can play or they wouldn't be there. Who's going to pay the price? And I like both of these kids. I like their work ethic. So, you know, I think Cincinnati got two plums there. We had them both ranked really high. Um, you know, we've talked before. Like, in my mind, Cincinnati is a – a power five program. So I hate to say, well, this guy's a power. He had power five offers. Well, Cincinnati to me is a power five program. So, but he fits like, you know, Ohio state offered Jaheim. They tracked him. They chased him. They liked him. I mean, so, you know, and David had other offers too. So that kind of coincided. I always felt like with Prater there, I think Prater makes UC so cool to the local kids. And I think Evan had coattails where sometimes in recruiting, people talk about, you know, kids recruiting other kids. And for the most part, that is not the case. I mean, everybody's got to do what they got to do. And I think with Evan, Evan made UC so cool that I think it just helped with the rest of these guys, you know. And then, you know, Jaheim would be the second highest rated kid in the class, um, you know, and David's not too far behind either. So, you know, two plums in my opinion. Another guy, just another guy that you talked about on the board uh, last week that you're pushing behind the scenes for for four star status is uh, Sammy Anderson, and 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 that's off the back of what was just a sensational run in the playoffs for Trotwood Madison. He was the most dominant player on the field. It seemed like every time that that Trotwood took the field. Well, the key for me was in that state championship game, it was almost like a seven-on-seven camp with pads, and it was Sammy against Angelo Gross, play after play after play. I love Angelo Gross. Angelo is a heck of a player. He is a four-star. Well, if Angelo is a four-star, and I truly believe he is, then Sammy's a four-star because there is no way you could have had an unbiased college coach sitting there at that game and watching those two go at it. Nobody would have walked away saying, well, I'll take, I'll take the kid from Mansfield for sure. No, everybody would have said Sammy's better. And I think Sammy deserves to be rated ahead of Angelo. And I'm not I'm not a proponent of dropping Angelo at all. I think Angelo's really good, but whatever Angelo is, Sammy's longer 
Sammy's just as athletic, um, you know, and in that game, Angelo, his track times are faster than Sammy's, but Angelo never was able to run away from Sammy in that game. And Sammy was able to run away from Angelo a couple times. So it's not track, it's football. Forget the track times. This guy's not necessarily faster than this guy. We can see it. And when you broke down the film, and I put it up on your site, the film with those two going head to head, to me, I think Sammy's the better player. And I think Sammy's the better prospect, too, because of his height. So we're going to work on that. And um, it's already been submitted. And I'm expecting Sammy Anderson to be a four-star before February. And I will stay on top of that, too. Dave? So another Cincinnati kid, Deshaun Pace from Coleraine, I watched their playoff game against Elder and came away really impressed just with his overall athleticism and versatility and am thinking that there's probably a couple positions that he might grow into. Is that – you got? we have him on 247 as a safety, but it's at 6'3", almost 200 pounds, and the way you see runs their defense, I'm thinking there's a couple other options, but – he was recruited. What did as a you guys sniper. like? Yeah, the sniper position. And do you think, like, with the way he's played this year, do you think he's another one that you could see moving up in your in your ratings? Possibly. I mean, I like him. I was the first one to ever write about him, and I actually went to see his brother last year, and it was like, hey, who's that dude over there? You know, I was talking to Tom Bolton, who was their coach at the time, and he's. He's like, that's Ivan's little brother. I'm like, well, he's about five inches taller. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Deshaun was, was so impressive, and I agree with you. I think he's a linebacker in college. He's another one. He's going to get into the strength and conditioning program. He's going to start eating right, learn about nutrition, lift the way college guys lift. And I think Deshaun ends up playing at 225 pounds, an outside linebacker, and is a darn good one. Um, and we'll see, like I say, um, we kind of were hoping to get through the first signing day and then between now and the second signing day, we're going to have a lot of time to go over everybody's film, get everybody ranked properly. We start by ranking them in Ohio and then we make our recommendations uh, nationally. But I definitely could see Deshaun as the guy moving up. He had a really good year this year, so I could see it. couple guys from Northern Ohio that, kind of, I think, maybe flew under the radar a little bit for our fan base just because they don't see him as much. Um, Tyler Scott, athlete wide receiver from Norton, and um, Todd Bumpus from up in Toledo. What do you, what do you, when you were evaluating those two guys, what did you like about their games? Yeah, Todd can, can really cover a lot of ground as a safety. He's got track times that are really good. Um, He's got good ball skills. You can watch him, you know, catch the football on offense when they threw it to him. So he's a guy, you know, that's really got a chance to be really special. He's a great kid, plays in a great program. So I have high hopes for him. I think he's a legit safety. Um, So we like him a lot. With Tyler Scott, I mean, he just reminded me so much of Trey Tucker, that type of player, you know. So if you like Trey, you're going to like Tyler. Because they're guys that, you know, you blink and they're gone. You miss a tackle and they're gone. Okay, so 
I think he really brings a lot of speed, um, a lot of burst, you know, to what Luke and those guys want to do on offense. So, you know, like I said, I think he's, he's Trey Tucker, you know, he's another one of those kind of guys. I'll, I'll, I'll take over for one of my favorite guys, Justin Wadley, who uh, that felt like a really big miss for Michigan state. Cause it, it seemed like things were trending in that direction and you and I were communicating about it uh, for a while, and, and then all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, I think Cincinnati's actually in the lead on this thing. And, and the close that they had for this kid was incredible, and he's the type of talent you do not see a defensive on the defensive line in the American Athletic Conference very often. Yeah, Justin is such a great kid. Um, comes from a great family. His dad's a coach. Um, the thing with Justin is I thought he was going to go to Michigan State. Um, and I think I probably had a crystal ball pick in for him to go to to uh, Michigan State. And one of the craziest things happened in his recruitment that I've probably never seen before. I was actually at the Ohio State camp on a Saturday. And it was the weekend that Justin was taking his official visit. And here – you know, he he had talked to Luke about, can I have permission to go up to Ohio State and work out for them? This is during his official visit. And Luke was like, yeah, you can go if you want to. Shoot, that kid loved it at Cincinnati so much. Like, he didn't even give a, give a darn about Ohio State at that point. And more importantly, he didn't give a darn about Michigan State at that point either. I mean, that just sold him. He got around those other commits. He got around the kids in the program at UC got around Marcus a little more, got around Luke a little more. And it was like, I'm done. I'm done. This is my spot. You know? And I knew it was over that weekend. I knew that one was done. I changed my crystal ball pick and it was like, there is, there wasn't anyone that was going to recruit Justin away from UC at that point. I don't care who offered. I mean, he, they just, he just, everything fit when he was on that official visit, it clicked and it was over. Tell me about his game. A a, a kid at, 6'3", 271, that, that played running back at times for Cleveland Heights, and uh, just a kid that really seems to be that type of guy that can be a disruptor inside. Yeah, I mean, he's got more room to grow, too. I think he'll get his body reshaped, um, and he'll probably play at 290 and look better at 290 than he looks at 270. Don't have a big-time weight program at Cleveland Heights. It's good. It's not what a major college program has. He is such a high effort kid. He loves to be coached, you know, and that's part of the game with these kids. You get some diva that commits from our high school where he ran the team in high school and nobody ever told him no. And nobody ever told him you're doing something wrong. Well, that's culture shock. When you get to college, Justin Wadley's dad has been all over him from day one. And Justin loves it. And he comes back for more. Max Stevens, the head coach, uh, you know, his kid Lyndon played yeah. for UC as well. I mean, they run a tough program there. I mean, they ain't playing around. And Justin loves to be coached hard. You know, and if you're going to play for Luke, you're going to get criticized. And you're either going to respond to that or you're going to crumble. And Justin will feed off that. And he'll give you everything he's got. I mean, Justin is a kid that he's a guy that I would put my name behind as maybe a future captain someday. You know, and I, and I would feel comfortable putting my name behind Justin Wadley for the type of person he is 
as the type of player he can be. And I, I just expect him to be so good down there. I think he's a guy that's going to buy into everything Luke wants to do. And he's going to be one of Luke's soldiers. You watch. Dave, you want to handle the other two? Oh, uh, yeah. I was. Let me see. I'm gonna... You got Ethan, Ethan Wright and Gavin Gerhardt, probably. Yep, that's the last two from Ohio. Yeah. And I, I had Ethan a couple of a... more, like, oh, bigger yeah. picture yeah, questions after that. But No, go, go ahead with those two guys, and then I'll get to the, the bigger picture stuff. Well, yeah, Gavin Gerhardt, he committed so soon, and then, you know, he didn't listen to any other school. He just stayed true, and you kind of forget about these guys when they commit soon like that. We, we like him. Um, we've got him ranked in the top 50 in the state, and he's, he's a heck of a player. He's going to be an inside guy there. He's a brawler. He's a bad dude. You know, he's, he's not a finesse lineman at all. He's looking to beat somebody up, and he will play right to the whistle. He might even play a little bit past the whistle, <laughs> maybe a lot past – sometimes a lot past the whistle, and you got to rein him in a little bit, but – that's a bad dude there. And, you, you know, Luke likes physically tough, bad dudes, and that's what this kid is. He's got a little so, He's got a little Jason Kelsey to him, huh? He's nasty. He's nasty. So, with Ethan, Ethan was a total steal, you know, to get that kid from Duke and from what, you know, Chad, you know, what you were saying, it's almost like he recruited UC, you know. It wasn't like they pried him away from Duke. You know, he kind of – he came to them. I mean, and wanted to be part of this program. I think he wants to play offense. I think he wants to be a running back. And, man, put him at running back. If you look at the, like the productivity he had in high school, those numbers are sick. I mean, it's like a video game. Now, is he playing great competition? No, no. But this kid will dance every dance. He's never hurt. To carry the ball as many times as you want. I mean, I like, we like Ethan a lot. We had Ethan ranked really high. And got questioned a little bit on his ranking. And, and every time somebody would question it, and then they'd go take a closer look, they're like, just keep him where he is. That dude's a player. Now, he could be a wideout, could be a safety, could be a linebacker, but he really wants to play offense. And I think they're going to give him the first shot at offense. And, and when you look at the touchdowns scored and yards gained, I mean, man, he probably, he probably is a running back. Mentioned with with Evan that you know LSU would have loved to have him come in after Joe Burrow, and outside of Sammy and Ethan, this class as a whole has been you know there was no action on signing day, and the class as a whole had been committed for for a fairly long time when it comes to in recruiting terms. Did did any of these guys you know draw significant significant interest i'm sure they did at some point but you know towards later in the process or or did everyone just kind of know like hey these guys are all real strong commits to uc and there's there's no point in wasting any time i never heard a breath of anyone you know looking to decommit and if you look at what happened yesterday lsu had some decommitments georgia had a decommitment ohio state had a decommitment and may get another decommitment from a kid that didn't sign. So it's not like this stuff, you know, doesn't happen everywhere in college football because it does. I never heard a word about anybody at UC looking around or maybe wavering. I never heard anything. I don't know if Chad did. It seemed I, like these guys were solid all the way. I, I didn't hear even a peep. Like normally 
you'll hear of guys, you know, maybe thinking about setting up official visits or you know, the the only one that would that, that there was any hesitation about was and Marcus talked about this today is Sammy going to sign? Wow. And he did. Well, okay. I, know I, just, I did not hear that. Just his dad, you know, it, it's Trotwood. They like to wait until that second period. Yeah. It, it yeah. wasn't wavering right. on UC. It was, was he going to sign early? And end of the day, he was he was one of those guys that were in it, you know, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. So uh, that was the only one that was even remotely a question. And it wasn't a matter of going anywhere else. It was, a you know, a... a a stylistic thing from Trot, Trotwood Madison because those okay. kids, they sign late. But yeah. I, I think yeah. Luke, I think Luke called and had a talk and said, you can sign late, but probably not going to be at Cincinnati. And Sammy said, wow. I, I want to be at Cincinnati, so he signed. So that was really the only you – know, the rest of these kids were rock solid. Yeah. When Sammy was uh, still undecided, I think I went and saw him playing week five or week six, something like that, and you – you try to tear into this with these guys that are close to the program down there. Like, where's he going to go? And Sammy doesn't talk a lot. And when he does, he's not giving anything away at all. So it's like, you know, everybody kind of thought, well, he'll go to Michigan state or he'll go somewhere. You know, I had a guy real close to the program at Trotwood grabbed me when I was down there in pregame. And he said, he is going to UC. He's, and he said, I guarantee he's going to UC. He may take some visits. He may snoop around. He may wait late to the second signing period. He said, but trust me, he wants to be at UC. He's a homebody. You wait, mark my words. And sure enough, now I put a crystal ball pick in just going off that. That was enough for me, you know, because this person is someone I trust. And sure enough, man, Sammy to UC, I, I don't think he really considered anywhere else. Moving then on, kind of, I know it's way early, but I was actually looking at the 2021 class, kind of just comparing it to this class in the state, and it worked out where the number of top 50 guys, I think one had 15, one had 16 right now, but the big difference I saw was that this year's class, a lot in that top 15 were from Cincinnati, and next year the only one that's really in the top 10 is Corey Kiner. And then those little Sal DBs are kind of floating into that late teens, oh, early twenties yeah. range. Oh yeah. Is that like, do you see like, you know, do you see like this, this staff obviously wants to recruit Ohio, wants to recruit Cincinnati, but do you think they might kind of have, and taking a bigger class next year, have to maybe expand out a little bit if they don't see the the impact talent locally like they saw um, this year. I mean, a lot of the top 10, top 15 guys in next year's class are all in the northern part of the state. And I know they have context there, but they've really hammered home the city, you know, state of Cincinnati mantra. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they attack next year's class with several more spots and then – the majority of the top players in the state not being in that, you know, Southwest Ohio area. Well, I think, you know, when you, the more you win, the more you can branch. Um, and this program right now is looked at so favorably. And, and Luke has such a, you know, a presence in state in the state of Ohio that I don't think it's going to be a problem at all to expand his, you know, 
defend the state of Cincinnati, and he can expand that out. I will say that the 2021 class is better than the 2020 class. And you're going to find kids ranked at 40 something in 2021. And that kid would probably be in the top 20 in 2020. So there's a lot of talent to go around in this 2021 class. I, I think it's so deep and I, I think it's, it's a lot better than the 2020 class, which is pretty darn good, but man, uh, I like this, this 2021 group and there's going to be a lot of players enough to go around for everybody, you know, and Luke is showing now that he, he's beating Michigan state, Kentucky, Louisville, Purdue. He's beating them pretty regular. So they may end up with a, you know, they got a great class now ranked, you know, number one in the league and everything. But I think next year's class is set up so well, man, they can feed off these two winning seasons, these bowl seasons, um, all the publicity they've gotten for the for the winning they're doing. I think the next class is set up pretty well for them to do well, and I think it'll be in Ohio too. But like you say, it could be more Columbus up to the Cleveland area, but they're going to do well this time. They've got two already, and, and I know it's two guys you right. like a lot. Dante right. Corleone, yeah. who's, who's 30, and Brady Lichtenberg, the number one quarterback in the class, again committed to Cincinnati, who's at 32. What's your thoughts on those two? Yeah, how could you not like Don Corleone, man? Who wants to go against that guy? Are you kidding me? He's a monster. You make an offer you can't refuse, man. And, yeah, like that kid's a tank. I mean, you were kind of in person. He is a beast. I, ne- I, I you were the one that kind of pointed him out to me too, you know. And, and again, you know, it's like there's so much talent in Ohio that I'm so worried about getting these seniors ranked properly, getting them evaluated properly, and it was like. You know, I got to dig into Dante Corleone here just for the heck of it. And it's like, man, it didn't take long. It's like we 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 didn't even know really who he was. We just had his name listed. And it didn't take long after watching that film. It's like, nah, he's better than all these guys. Get him up there. You know, so he's he's actually, I think, 28 right now in Ohio. And, you know, he's pretty darn good. Brady is so good. I mean, Brady is – he's so smart. And he runs a high-powered offense at you know at Toledo St. John's, where they ask him to do a lot. He's got to do a lot of thinking and a lot of reading, and um, he, he can handle anything. I mean, the kid is so sharp. He's grown a little bit each year too. When I first saw him, man, that dude was like five eleven, about a hundred and nothing, and he's now six two, and he's filling out. So, and Brady's a, a great athlete as well. Brady's a heck of a basketball player. And smart as can be. And, and, and the best story about Brady is that his dad, Bubba, has known Luke forever. They played against each other in high school. Right. Bubba Lichtenberg played at Athens. So Luke sacks him on the first play of the playoff game. <laughs> Luke's at DeSales and says, going to be a long night, buddy. You know, and um, they ended up being friends, and they've known each other all along. And here now Luke recruits the guy's son. So that's a great – I thought that was a great story. And – Bill, can they do it again? Can they do the unthinkable and get Corey Kiner to stay home and be a Cincinnati Bearcat the same way they did with Evan Prater? Man, right now I'm saying no. And I know that's probably not the answer you want to hear, but I'm not BSing anybody for any reason. My feeling is no, they're not going to. But if if we would have had this conversation – a year ago today about Evan, I would have said, eh, I think he's going national, guys. Sorry. And I 
dead wrong. Right now on Corey, I think Corey is really – that's a Michigan-Ohio State battle, and I think he's buying what they're telling him. But long way to go in this stuff. Long way to go. So uh, right now I'm saying no. They're not getting Corey Kiner, but, you know, you may see a crystal ball pick in there in the next couple of months. <laughs> when you doubt – when you doubt Luke, he kind of tends to prove you wrong. Well, that's the beautiful thing about Luke that people don't get. He puts off this vibe that he's he's a normal, everyday, down-to-earth guy, which he is. He is. But he's also the most competitive human I think I've ever met. He, he's, he's insane. You know, <laughs> he really is. And you go back to his wrestling background in high school and, you know, why don't you do an article on all the guys that beat him in wrestling in high school? That's going to be a short article. Yeah, there was nobody. I mean, he's right? a nut. He was undefeated. No one. Right. He's a nut. You know, and all the games he played at Ohio State, um, played hurt. He's just, you know, like I say, he's that rare combination, really, because there's so many of these college coaches that are successful. And to be successful, they kind of have to have a little bit of jerk in them. But uh, I've never seen it with Luke. You know, and I've been around him a long time, and I've never seen a jerk side of him, and I've never heard any behind-the-scenes stories of a jerk move that he's pulled on somebody. He's a, he's a family guy. He's a great father. He's a great husband. And that's why I just laughed this year when they were like, oh, Luke's up for the Arkansas job. Luke's up. They may be for USC. You know, and it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like Luke and his wife or Luke and his wife are going to head to Fayetteville with six kids. Come on, man. You know, it just you know once you know the guy, I mean, he's a pretty special guy. And you know, I don't say that about every college coach either, because some of these guys, you know, you just they're great coaches, and that's where you draw the line. But with Luke, I mean, he's a great coach and he's a great guy. I mean, and. You know, the day I hear a nasty story about him, a behind-the-scenes thing about Luke did this or Luke said this, I'll be shocked because I don't buy it. I, I think he's really a great human being. All right, Bill, you got anything else, Dave? Oh, no, I think we, we, got, we hit it all. Well, thank you for your time, kind sir. I know it is an extremely busy time of year, and uh, the focus now starts to shift to 2021. And hopefully another big recruiting class for the Bearcats. I will. Uh, I will definitely talk to you plenty, and we will. Uh, we'll try to get back together on the podcast here in the summer when uh, when twenty twenty one really picks up. Yeah, anytime, anytime. You guys need me, man. You just let me know. All right. Thanks a lot, Bill. Much appreciated. You have a good night. Sure thing. Have a good holiday. You too. Once again, special thanks to Bill Green for coming on. That was a ton of info, and uh, if you were expecting a short podcast today, buckle in, because we got, we got a ways to go. Yeah, we're, we're 35 minutes in, and we ain't even got started yet. Uh, let, let's hit the rest of these guys, Dave. Um, Bill, sure. Fo- Bill focuses on Ohio. We wanted to keep that. You know, he's not he, he, he's busy enough tracking all the kids in the state of Ohio, uh, so, so let's get the rest of them. We'll start uh, offensive line. Kobe McAllister, 6'6", 275, uh, a tackle, an athletic tackle that, that's coming in from the state of Georgia. And uh, another big boy that Ron Crook's going to get to work with out on the outside. Yeah, I mean, I think he's your prototype offensive tackle. I, don't, I mean, no telling 
based off high school stuff, if that means left or right. But, I mean, you look at the frame already, 6'6", 275, like you said, that guy will be 300 within weeks yeah. of, of being here. So, I mean, and it's just a matter of, you know, is he a road grading tackle? So he goes on the right side, or is he a, an athletic, more linear, uh, you know, in space tackle, then he goes on the left. So, but, I mean, he was, you know, several accolades from down in Georgia, obviously had a, a good season to our nose, and, you know, so it'll just, you know, you're always looking for tackles, and you're always looking for big people, and, and I think, you know, we'll touch on it all after we get through these couple guys from out of Ohio, but um, offensive line as a whole, I thought they did a really good job at, so, you know, him him being a part of that, so. We'll just we'll, we'll see how the development goes for for that. We'll we'll stay with the three offensive linemen outside of Gavin Gerhardt here. Uh, John Williams, six yeah. five three ten, listed as a tackle, but I I think he could even be a guy that maybe slides inside, um, depending on how he how he works out here. Uh, but again, yeah, I think more of a more of a guard in a, a shorter space interior guy myself. He's another one. I mean, it was what. Four years ago, we were getting these offensive linemen coming in at 235, 240, and every well, one of them I'll, coming in I'll now. I'll never forget. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget Corey Cunningham. Tight end out of Alabama, 6'5", 235. That's not the case anymore. They're bringing in dudes no, with, no. with legit size. John Williams already at 310. He's an early enrollee. So he's going to be here for the spring, and he's going to get the accelerated class. And uh, he's a guy I think, you know, they, they all, you know, you you assume offensive linemen are going to redshirt. I assume John Williams is going to redshirt. But I could see him working his way up the rotation pretty quickly uh, as a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, because the physical tools are, are there. Oh, for sure. You know, with all these guys, it's just, it's just a matter of, the guys in front of him and how quickly they adapt. And, you know, Jeremy Cooper adapted real quick and, you know, he's, he's in their guard. So I don't see why some of these other guys couldn't possibly We've do seen, that. The we, only thing keeping them, keeping it, keeping them from it is they've got, um, you know, some younger guys in front of them. So yeah. that's good for the future of the program. We, we see Marcella Mendiola have kind of a similar route exactly. as Cooper. He spent a lot of time with the second team this year. He was able to redshirt, but, He's going to be ready next year, and and Williams, I think, is another in that in that line uh, that that is going to be fast tracked to uh, being in the two deep. And then they went out and got a center. Uh, I talked to Mike Denbrock about it today. Luke gave me a hard time about it yesterday because Renfro actually, as a senior, moved out to tackle uh, because his team needed him there. But as a sophomore and junior, he was a center, and and he's a guy that that they've recruited to come in. And, and handle that spot going forward. And, and as Denbrock told me today, you know, we've been messing around with bringing guys in and trying to teach them to be centers. And it was time we went out and we found ourselves a center. And they're really high on Jake Renfro going forward. Yeah, I mean, he, I would be too. I mean, that's the thing you mentioned it. And, you know, programs typically in UC's position – are not hand selecting offensive linemen and dropping them in to where they want them to be 
three or four years from now. They're taking defensive ends or tight ends or, or whatever and and moving guys around and, and testing guys here and there. But it seems like with, what they've been able to do the last couple of years on the offensive line, they're getting – I don't, I don't want to say college ready, but college equipped players that just need some some fine tuning and not a uh, a renovation, so to speak. Yeah, they're 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 coming in and like changing the appliances. They're not coming in and and ripping out the walls. Yeah, you know. So I think I, I think you're right on all four of those guys on the offensive line. I think this is a hell of a class. Of offensive linemen. Sorry, Dan. Looking at uh, some of the other out-of-state guys, Sterling Miles, another early enrollee, 6'5", 225. Talked to Marcus Freeman about him today. He said, with him, it's going to be a question of what happens when he gets here. Is he my Jay Sanders and he puts on 40 pounds in a month? And he plays strong side defensive end, or does he stay as a lean, you know, aggressive athlete in the two fifty range, two forty range, and play that that jack position? But we've talked about this since they got here. They want these long, athletic guys at the defensive end position, and Sterling Miles is another one. Yeah, I really liked his tape. I thought he he's got a good burst. I thought he played with. You know, a lot of good lean leverage to get into the tackles. And he's a good chaser, which I think you don't see all the time with high school defensive ends. If the play is not coming to their side or if it starts to move away, not that they give up, but they kind of, you know, they're he, they're not going to chase the play down. I thought he did that a lot. And, and like you said, I mean, six, if those numbers are accurate, 6.225 is not anything that we're – up until this group of uh, coaches, it's not anything we're accustomed to seeing. I mean, you're looking at 6'3", 205, or 6'4", right. you know, one night. I mean, we've had people all over the board. I mean, everybody yeah. that listens to this, that, that especially defensive linemen, I mean, there's a lot of guesswork well, done and hope that you can take guys and turn them into something by their – junior senior years and these guys are coming in at a level where you're like well i mean even if he struggles to put on weight he's going to be 240 so i mean he's got it it's funny because watching bowl practices as the young guys are are starting to to get cycled in you forget isaiah ruffin is six foot six higher ground i i Higher ground, I kept just being like, "Who is that guy?" Like, because I'm looking at his number, and I'm like, "Why does he not have an offensive lineman number?" Like, he's so he's so big, and I'm just like, you almost have to kind of retrain your eye and your mind to be like, "Oh yeah, we're not recruiting like six one to six three defensive ends anymore." Another that are, one that are two hundred pounds. Another one's Eric Phillips, who who is uh, I Dude, think that guy he got. He actually got some run this year too, in I think one or two games. Like, um, but yeah, he just you see him on the sideline, and you're like, that guy's a freshman, and he's you know a 300 pound defensive tackle. He, I think he's been he's looked pretty good this week in the bowl practices. 
And, and it's good because he, he had a shoulder injury early in the year um, that slowed him down a little bit. But we heard a ton about him coming out of Coleraine. And, and watching him this week, you can, you're can you starting to be able to see it. And that, that, that three-year run, I think, at defensive tackle of Eric Phillips to Justin Watley to Dante Corleone, they're going to be just fine at defensive tackle for a long time to come. Because all three yeah. of those guys I'm really excited about. And then absolutely, a, a guy that we, we got some more information on this week in Peyton Singletary. He's the one that I definitely know the least about. Well, and a lot of that was, Dave, his numbers were very troubling at the beginning of the season. And it was one of those, you know, he, he signed right before this, or committed right before the season started. And you were looking at him going, what's going on there? Like, this kid's not really producing. Turns out he was playing with pneumonia through the first portion of the season. Probably not advised, but, you know. <laughs> but as he got healthy, he started to be really, really good towards the end of the year. Denbrock went to see him in the bye week. He had five touchdowns in that game. And, and all of a sudden, you're seeing a guy at 6'4", 220 pounds, another big athlete that, that I you know, he's got a chance to come in here and be that pass-catching type of tight end that, that really makes a difference. Yeah, I'm going strictly off what... Coach Denbrock said uh, today because I just, I just, he's the one I really, you know, don't know much about. And sometimes I, I always wonder too, it's like tight ends in high school and their numbers, you know, what kind of offense are they in? What are they actually asking them to do? Um, so those, that's the one position to, for me personally where it, for me, it's tough to kind of evaluate them being a, a, a fan. And, and just casually watching some highlight tape and stuff like that because you just don't know, you know, what what's, what their responsibilities are and things like that. So it's good right. to hear that there were some mitigating circumstances that contributed to his slow start this year. And then once he was back to health, that things picked up for him. And the last guy, the lowest rated guy in the class, I think might be the third or fourth best player in the class. I, I, I could be wrong on this, man, but I think Norman Love is going to be a hell of a football player at UC. 5'11", 185. Well, to me, he is the type of guy that we've seen just destroy this league at UCF in Memphis. Short oh, area, yeah, sudden he's quickness. Good. He's got great hands. He makes big plays. He's a threat to take it to the house every time he touches the football. I love Norman Love. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, James Prochet from SMU. Uh, you know, get a little, you know, has some some games similar to that for you know, but it's funny, you know, not to go totally off of Norman, but Bill talking about Tyler Scott in a similar comp to Trey Tucker, and then we have Norman Love. And it kind of just all goes back to what we've talked about on um, the last couple episodes of 
the direction that they're starting to go in with wide receiver, that all those guys are kind of in that, I mean, Trey's on the shorter side, but, you know, from the 5'9 to the 5'11, just speed, athleticism, elusiveness versus the 6'2, 6'3, you know, prototype you know, uh, wide receiver. So it'll definitely be interesting because we both feel that they're probably not done at wide receiver, whether that's a high school kid in February, a transfer. I mean, I, I would be pretty surprised if there's not another yeah. wide receiver added to this group. Same. So it'll be interesting to see what that player looks like if they continue in this mold or if they're like, okay, we got three of these guys in this class. Let's go get, try to get another one of those you know, bigger outside guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think you'll I think it's going to be a bigger guy. Um, just based off of having three of the, you know, the, the under six foot shifty, you know, playmaking types and play, you know, guys that make plays in space types. I think you need a, a one bigger guy in this class, uh, at least in like the six, two range. Um, yeah, but it, it is an interesting shift. I think after, you know, going through three cycles of playing this conference, I think you look around and you say, you know what? We don't have to have those big guys that we had to have in the Big Ten. It's nice to have one or two or three, you know, guys that you can put on the outside and can go high point the ball down the field, and, and they're clearly going to continue to make that a priority. But you make plays in this conference with guys that can get it done in space. And well, they well, Here's kind of my it. thought behind that. And, you know, this is something that I actually just kind of thought of. But outside of UC, how many teams do they play in the conference that have corners that are as big as UC? Very few, if any. So, at first when they came in, they, they you know, Luke's a Big Ten guy, Mark's a Big Ten guy, Dan Brock's at Notre Dame. They're used to going up against defenses that have six foot and up corners. Uh, Memphis, so had, thinking, Memphis had a couple, thinking, right? But not like not like UC does. I mean, right. they're still in that five ten to six foot six one range. I mean, UC's got six two six three. You know, long arms, guys long legs. Yeah, right. So I'm wondering if at first, just in their brain, they're like well, these are the receivers we've always got, so these are the receivers we're going to get. And now that they've been in it more, their, their defensive backs that we're going up against are the smaller, quicker, get-up-in-you-guys and our bigger guys. That's not their game. Like, they, yes, we can still high-point the ball, but if they're, you know, smothering them because they're quicker, then that, you know, the chances of a completed pass – are slim so maybe now they're like okay well if they're going to go with smaller guys let's go with a few smaller guys ourselves so that we can then use you know combat that their speed with some some better speed of our own yeah i mean it, it's it's an interesting dynamic shift that's for sure because it's a it, it's clearly a philosophy change where they had one philosophy when they got here and now that and maybe some of it, I wonder how much some of it is also 
and we haven't talked about this side of it yet, the influence of Mike Brown, who was in that 5'11", six-foot range. Sure, you know? he might like that type of wide receiver more. Yeah. So, you might think a guy that is sub 4'5", but 5'10", is better than 6'2", but 4'6", you know? Right. So overall, let's uh, let's we're pushing an hour already, and we we haven't even started bowl practice or basketball. Um, overall, hard not to be impressed with yet another. And and here's what blows me away, and this is what nobody has talked about. I've I've not seen any one person mention this. They have the number one class in the AAC, the number one class in all of the G five, and a class that's rated above what 30 something p5 classes or 20 something yeah. p5 no classes? It'd, it'd be like in the in the 10 to 20 range yeah there's like 65 p5 teams yeah and they so. were okay, yeah but anyhow they did it with only 16 commits right and that's kind of why i sent that tweet out today to show kind of show people like we have the number one class but they also and I don't love the – I wish they ranked classes on average player rating. I agree. Because I don't think you should just get – I don't think you should just get extra points because you got 27 guys and we got 16 when ours are a full point better than yours across the board. Yeah. But that's just – that's how they do it. Whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you have a smaller class and you're still, you know, the top class in the league and, you know, ahead of several several other classes and that – that was kind of why, and that's the part that was the most interesting to me on the class as a whole, and why I asked Bill that was the vast majority of this class was committed in the summer. Yeah. And I don't even remember hearing about anyone even thinking about taking another visit, well, let alone Devin Neal. wavering on their commitment. We have to we have to mention Devin Neal. He did flip. Right, but I mean. He was also recruited or committed a long time. And Angelo Gross was committed for a little while. But, but like, when you have – when you're recruiting at this level, you would think that the piranhas are going to be everywhere, especially how long these kids were committed for. Because other teams a longer, longer chance to try to get them to flip. When you've proven – you have a, one, a really good eye for talent, and two, the ability to develop it. Like, you would think the Power Five schools are looking at UC's commit list every day, licking their chops, going, we'll take that one, and we'll take that one, and we'll take that one. And they got one of them. Gross, I don't count because he only committed to UC because he didn't have a Michigan State offer. Right. Right. So the day he got the Michigan State offer... That game changed. Yeah. So I don't count that one. I, I do count Neil because he was committed for a long, long time. I think he would have been a really good addition to the class. Um, But it's hard for me at this point. It's hard for me to get upset over a defensive back leaving because they're loaded at corner well, and I mean, safety. We got one, one guy, you know, decommit. Outside of, like, outside of very, very few programs, I mean, we're still talking about 17, 18-year-olds. Like, 
they're still changing their minds about stuff all the time. And these right. guys were see, were totally locked in. I mean, I'm sure they got calls. I'm sure they got calls over the last few weeks. Like, but to, for no one to even like take a visit, just to be like, yeah, I just want to see what else is out there. I committed to UC in July, and that was a while ago. I just want to see what these yeah. guys have. See what like, my options none of that are. happened. Right. And I would, you know, I don't blame guys for doing that. I think you should absolutely take visits and see what is out there. Like this is a major, major decision. And you know, we didn't see any of that, which is is kind of stunning, really. I also want to say, speaking of defensive backs, we have for a long time given a ton of credit to Marcus Freeman, to Gino Gadouli, as kind of the two linchpins of recruiting for the staff. I think it's time to put Mike Mickens up there, isn't it? He sure seems to have been able to identify him very well so far and develop him. I mean, it's one thing to look at a kid and go, he'll be good. I mean, a lot of people can do that. But how do you make him better than they already are and become a contributor on a winning team? Yeah. And, I mean, (laughs) bringing him home and bringing Gino home have been two very, very wise decisions through three years of the Luke Fickle era. Because I think both of those guys have absolutely killed it as assistant coaches for their alma mater. All right. I didn't get a chance to write a practice report or a practice notes today. There really was only... Hold on. I'll read them straight off my list. There really was only a couple things that, that were interesting to me. I talked about one. Uh, Eric Phillips looking pretty good, getting some reps with the second team at defensive tackle. How about this one? They were messing around with the D line today. My Jay Sanders was back at the Jack position at times. And Elijah Ponder was playing strong side defense event. With, with Curtis Brooks and Jabari Taylor inside a tackle. Not surprising. I mean, he went out there when they would go to the, the three-man three front. Man front. Right. I just think it's interesting that with the four-man front, and that's that's what bowl practices are for. Sure. I mean, you throw a guy in a spot, and if he swims, you try it again the next day. If he sinks, you're like, all right, you're still good at D-tackle. Now, the story of the day. So... For they they they've been doing fifteen sixteen periods five minute periods, um, and you go through all you know, two periods of tempo, two periods of run fit, two periods of seven on seven, two periods of uh, you know positions and two periods of special teams whatever. So the last six periods today were team periods, and in those six periods, Wilson Huber went into the Superman booth, took off the eighty two white. Put on nine black. And he's been he's been over there at the end of practice the, the first couple days, but they've they've never really unleashed him. Today it felt like they they took the restrictor plate off. And this is the real sorry Dan moment for this podcast. 
holy shit. <laughs> he was everywhere. And there were there were five there were five plays in a row that he was at the ball when the tackle was made from the backfield to the far right sideline to down the left hash. It was like, are you kidding me? What the hell is going on? This dude looks like an animal. And I also, also, he was, this is what it reminded me of. Remember when Connor Barwin was a tight end and you were like, that's a pretty good sized dude. And then for whatever reason, the second he switched to defensive end, you were like, good God, he's a monster. That was Wilson Huber today. Because in that tight end room, Lenny's a giant human. Josh Wiley's a giant human. Now Cam Jones is over in that room. Like, he looks like an average size guy in the tight end room. You know what he looks like at six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds playing middle linebacker? <laughs> it was unbelievable. It's, one, pro- it's probably the biggest middle linebacker I've ever seen. It was unbelievable, dude. And he was flying everywhere. And, you know, let's be honest. I, I, I've talked to a couple people about this switch. And the way that they used Brian Wright, like Brian Wright wasn't didn't spend a whole lot of time in coverage. Like there wasn't. Yeah, he, a, he, was, he was coming forward. Yes. Well, if you could put Wilson Huber in that role, and from what I, what from the, you know, what I've talked to people about, he is a very football savvy kid, and a kid that really loves the game and is just looking for a way to get on the field. I know the initial plan was maybe to move Ethan Tucky into that spot, but um, <laughs> I joked with it on the podcast with with Freeman today. He's like, I got to go look at the tape, but what just happened? It was right after practice. Like, what just happened out there? Had everybody looking at each other and going, this number nine dude is a freak. What is going on? And it was Wilson Huber. It was unbelievable. Very few days at practice we've ever seen anything like that, that unexpected. Did he just go up and take Arquan Bush's number? I think it was the number nine that – that Pitts wore because Pitts switched to nine when Bush was out. Well, Bush was out, right? So I think it's just it, it, he, what he grabbed. I mean, I don't think he really right, has. Yeah. Just, I mean, I was just joking because obviously they can't. If right. it came to fruition, they obviously can't be on the field at the same time. So he would have to pick yes, another new number. number. I just didn't know. Maybe he just went and said, <laughs> "I'm wearing your jersey today." No. Do you think he would fit in Arquan Bush's jersey? The answer is no. That is know. that is a big dude, and it was really fun at the end of practice today watching him fly around and just smack people. <laughs> Justin Williams and I are looking at each other, going, "Is this is this real? Is this serious?" In the backfield, tackle for loss. He did have he did he did have a missed tackle that you, like that was like oh he doesn't really know he hasn't really been. Understandable. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He, he, he does. He's never played linebacker. He he hasn't really been taught to tackle yet, but the athleticism and the physicality. I think that's one that we're going to be talking about well into the spring about Wilson Huber uh, and the and the experiment at linebacker. You could tell last year, like Alec Pierce didn't have his heart in 
moving to linebacker. He wanted to be a wide receiver. They gave him a look, and it was one of those things. And, and, and thank God they moved him back because he was their best wide receiver this year. Um, I think Wilson Huber, I think he loves it. I think he's running around out there the, the little bit that he's done it so far on defense and going, ooh, this is fun. I get to light people up. So that was today's practice report. So, um, how about Thank basketball? you for being there, as always. Hey. How about basketball? 78-66. One of the more, uh, I would say, unexpected wins I can remember at Fifth Third Arena after Saturday. How, how could you? How could you? Right. Think. Uh, I mean, if you were just being realistic about things, Tennessee yeah. coming off a home loss to Memphis. We just lost to a tube of toothpaste. Turned the ball over a crap ton of times again. Blew another lead late in the game. Like had Jaron go, you know, space cowboy on us. In the final seconds, how could anyone really have envisioned what happened last night? And boy, was it fun. <laughs> that I tell you what, Dave. For me, two things. One, the question was, how, was, how are they going to respond to basically having their manhood questioned, right? Like, they got punked against Colgate. That's exactly what my takeaway from the game was. Was Yes, it was great that we made a bunch of shots against a team that doesn't let anybody make shots, but I think for the first time this year, and, and I've had some random circumstances that I have not been able to watch a few of the games, really just the last two, last night was the first time I think this year that I watched and I go, we played – and this has nothing to do with two of the coaches, but just Cincinnati-style tough basketball. Like, I didn't think they had played tough at any point yet this year. And that doesn't necessarily mean physical, but just, like, mentally tough, physically tough. Everything about the performance last night was tough to me. And, and I don't know if that's why they won, but it certainly was why they were, in my opinion, why they had lost the games that they lost, because tough teams don't blow 10-point leads with a minute left. And right. tough teams don't turn the ball over 17 times. And, la- and while they did turn it over 15 times last night, only two of those were in about the last 10 minutes, and that's when they pretty much put the game away because right. they were tougher than Tennessee. And that's saying something because there's some dogs on that team. Yeah, and, and what, they had nine at halftime. They finished with 15, so only six in the second half. And it was, and and – you know, John was very proud of this after the game, but it was the personification of what John Brandon wants his team to look like. 17 assists, six guys in double figures, another one with nine. Good pace, good space. Taking it to a team that Tennessee was allowing, what, 34% from two-point range, I believe? Coming yeah, into the game? to giving up 51 at home to Memphis. Yeah. We know they're not they've got they got dudes. So they got one less dude now. Um but one less. But, but still some other dude. Yeah. 
but Cincinnati shot 26 of 40 from two against the team. I I, I, I haven't seen the, the retroactive numbers, but I think Tennessee was third in the country in two-point field goal percentage coming into the game. And Cincinnati ate them alive in the paint. On the drive, on the post-up. Not a lot on the offensive rebounding front, which was interesting. Um, but, I mean, that was... If that's what John Brandon basketball is going to look like, I think that was a deep breath for the fan base that offensively, that was a lot of fun to watch. Tennessee's defensive efficiency after the game is still 19th. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought I thought we had an advantage with our bigs. Yeah. Because Fulkerson is really the only guy that they have, and he's not even really like he's not a big in the sense of vote and Soroya. So I thought we'd have that advantage, and we played to it um, when vote wasn't in foul trouble. But I thought we did a good. I mean, Lamonte Turner is. He's their lead guy. He's, and we did a good job. You know, John talked about it, the game plan to slow him down. And they did a good job in that. He's not. He's kind of in the same boat as Jaron is. He's, he's, right. he's dealing with a, a, a shoulder injury. And he, can't, he can't make a basket outside the free throw line. Right. And, and, but you still, you still have to you know, cover him. He still ended up maybe their leading scorer by the end of the night. But, but no, I mean, everything you said is exactly right. There was more pace and there was flow. Just the offense, you can have pace and tempo, but still not look cohesive. And I think last night, you know, whether it was, I don't know, simplifying things, understanding it more, it just felt like the way that the offense flowed was was more together, more, you know, as one more in sync than it had been at any point this year. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was what I think that was why there was so much angst because that was what everybody was waiting to see was a team that looked like that. And maybe it's, you know, I've talked about saying the words pace and tempo doesn't necessarily mean winning. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, playing with more pace and more tempo is great if you're not turning the ball over almost 20 times a game. And if, you're, you got, if your guys know what they're doing and know what to do when the defense, you know, takes something away. Okay, do we all just freeze because we don't know what the counter is? Or do we know now, okay, this set, when they take this away, we go right into this and, you know, and we keep the same – pace and tempo and it doesn't stop with 15 seconds left on the shot clock and then we're doing iso ball and stuff like that i thought it was pretty clear there was also kind of two packages in the game one for when jerem was in one for when jerem was out which shows yeah you could mm -hmm. progression from the coaching staff it also shows that they feel like jaron is getting back to being jaron cumberland that everybody knows and that, you know, they're dialing up his number a little bit more. And they're they're putting that weight back on him of, look, you're our horse. 
We're we're still gonna ride you. But you know, when you're not in the game, we're gonna do some other stuff too. And and it's interesting. I don't know if you caught this last night. Berg tweeted out the uh, the the analytics of when Cincinnati is at their best with what guard rotation on the floor. Offensively and defensively, their best guard rotation this year has been Micah Adams-Woods, Keith Williams, and Javen Cumberland. And that's how Cincinnati was able to survive that middle part of the second half where Jerem was on the bench with four fouls. Chris Vogt was on the bench with four fouls. Jay Sirola gave him great minutes while Chris Vogt was on the bench. And those three guys, along with Trey Scott, made just enough happen so that when Jaron came back in, he hit that eight-point spurt over a five-minute stretch. And that lead went from one all the way out to ten and kind of put the game on ice against the Tennessee team that offensively, they're in a, in a rut right now. And they took advantage of it. They closed out the game. Biggest revelation, first start of Micah Adams-Woods' career. And um, there's probably going to be like another 100 that come after that one. Because I don't see that kid coming out of the lineup probably for a long time. I mean, not if he, you know, and that's the thing is this team with Jaron and the way Chris has played and Keith and Trey, I thought Trey played an awesome game last he did. night. Absolutely. And, and, and Javen off the bench. You just need your point guard to run the offense, find the open man, play good defense, and don't turn the ball over. Any, any points with those other guys out there, if things are going well, is found money. And they weren't getting that from Chris McNeil, so I don't begrudge. You know, guy's got to earn the spot, but, I mean, he's in there now. He played against a high-level team last night with two really good guards and was not – did not look out of place one bit. And how about the freshman being the most reliable guy to walk up to the free-throw line in late-game situations? The kid is – the kid is, is, is ice in his veins good. Like, I uh, – I, I put well, that's the, what you want your, from your point guard. Yeah. If your guy's going to have the ball in his hands, it would be helpful if he's about an 80% free throw shooter. Yeah, no, but I'm saying as a freshman, like a lot, you, you don't get that a lot of the time. Right. Hell, they're not getting it from seniors right now. No. So for the freshman to do it, and, and I put this on the board the other day, and when his name came up, I started making some calls to my assistant coaching friends around the country. One of them said, man, I, I went to watch City Rocks a bunch. And it wasn't all the time. But it was enough of the time that it stood out to me that when I watched that team, Micah Adams-Woods was the better player than Samir Torrance. Samir Torrance was a top 75 kid. A kid that Mick was after for a long time and ended up going to Marquette. He's averaging one point a game right now. And Cincinnati would be in a boatload of trouble if Mike Adams-Woods wasn't on this roster. I know that for sure. Oh, Anything else really stand out to you from the game last night that you want to talk about? No, I mean, I think I, really just for me, it was the toughness factor. Like, I hadn't seen that. I mean, 
and it was nice to just to see that and hopefully that continues and and hopefully I guess my my biggest takeaway is kind of twofold is that was a win that they absolutely had to have but now hopefully that is the start of something and not just a well we lost to Colgate and we really got to get this one at home so we're gonna have you know have our best practice those always seem to happen after a really bad loss um but like is it a starting point or it didn't this is totally up to them is it a starting point or is that just like oh we had that one good game in december against tennessee i think with this team and maybe i'm wrong time will tell i think with this team it's a starting point because this is this is not it's a team that hasn't played together much but it's not a young team. You got a lot of seniors. Five, five seniors. You got two juniors that are critical pieces of this puzzle. You know, this is a team that you would hope that Colgate game was the point that everybody looked in the mirror and said, I'm not losing, man. I didn't come here to lose. That's not part of wearing the red and black. And for Jaron and Keith and and Trey, look, man, I I haven't lost in my time here. We don't lose. So hopefully that was the turning point. And, and I think, and we'll see, you never know, but I think that's a point, you know, we're going to look back at it like we look back, you know, at, at, at 2012 and the loss to Presbyterian and the, the fight. And the rallying point of, look, man, we're not dealing with this crap. And that's, you know, that's what you hope. That That's, it's obviously best case scenario. And you know me, I'm a, I'm a big time glass half full guy. Always positive. <laughs> okay. I, I am that way. And I hope that's the case. I, they're going to have their hands full with Iowa. And I hope yeah. that that. If they drop that game, I hope that that doesn't then kind of like move a mind frame back to, yeah, you know, just because, I mean, Iowa offensively, it's the same thing we saw last year, minus Jordan Bohannon, who in one of the stranger situations had already decided that he was going to have hip surgery when the season started and decided I'm going to play the the amount of games I can play and still redshirt to try to get us as many wins as I can, and then I'm just going to, you know, shut it down. go have hip surgery. So yeah, he, sh- shut it down, medical redshirt, and get ready for next year. Which, interestingly, though, does not guarantee that he's back at Iowa next year. He'll be a grad transfer. Right. He could go wherever he wanted to go. Now, he'll probably stay there, but, like, if someone – really wanted him. It's just an interesting thing. You don't usually see that. A guy's either hurt or he's not. And he's like, I'm going to play as many games. I'm going to play with the whatever number it is and try to get us as many wins as I can. And then I'm going to shut it down. And, but the other, I mean, Luca Garza is going to be oof. a handful. I mean, he's the first real true center that votes going to go up against that can kind of match him you know, size for size with some serious offensive skill. He might be the best offensive center in the country right now. 
That dude is getting buckets. There's not a lot of centers, so I mean, to, I that wouldn't be far fetched. He's getting buckets, brother. I mean, he's right now he's a threat at the center position, which as is almost obsolete in college basketball. He's a threat to to put at least thirty on you, the minute the ball is tipped. This is gonna gonna have his hands full. He's gonna have to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, it's it's a big it's a big challenge because Luca get gets going and then it's everybody's collapsing and they're just banging in wide open threes. Yeah, we saw that in the second half last year. I mean, they're number two offensive efficiency, but they're in the hundreds defensive. But it's just a matter of. Can this UC team score? Can they score with them? And if they keep, if they have 15 or more turnovers, you're not going to have the ball enough to score with them. So they're going to have to protect the ball a lot better than they have been too. The interesting thing will be without Jordan Bahannon, can they force Iowa into turnovers? That has not been something that has been a problem for them to this point, but it's their first game without Bahannon. I think the other big thing for me is, it's a team coming off a nine-day layoff, and that's yeah. I, I I heard that today, and I would worry a little bit about that if I was them in December. I think that's not a bad thing in February, right? But like to take that many days off at this point of the season, when I feel like hot. you're just you're 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 your first ten minutes of that game are going to be very interesting. Either there's no layoff and they're fine or there is and UC has to take advantage of those 10 minutes unlike against Ohio State when Ohio State couldn't score in the first half first 10 minutes but UC couldn't take advantage of that right I agree with all those things I think it's going to be a really interesting game in Chicago nine probably 930 tip in Chicago am I allowed to say though that the Dayton Colorado game is going to be better I mean, it, it could be. Dayton's really good. Obi Toppin is Colorado's a fun pretty, to win. Apparently, Colorado's, Colorado's pretty good, yeah. too. That, I think both of those games, the Mo Egger Classic, should have two really fun games. Yeah, Colorado's 43rd in Ken Palm. They're 14th off defensive efficiency. That's going to be awesome because Dayton's 7th offensive. So, you've got a highly... Efficient offense going against the highly efficient defense in that one. How about how about Mo Egger's week, his four day weekend? It's not it's not bad. I mean, he right now he's in Milwaukee, walking watching the Bucks and Lakers, the two best teams in the NBA right now. Well, he's, he's seeing a blowout, is what he's seeing. Yeah, but still getting getting to watch oh, yeah. a fun one, and then heading down to Chicago to watch Dayton, Colorado. And Cincinnati and Iowa. That's a that's a quality sports weekend right there. And then Absolutely. you get to come home Sunday and check out the the Bengals and the Dolphins. I have my I got my champ my champagne is in the fridge chilling. Are you a Joe Burrow guy? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, hundred percent. I I struggle to ha- I would struggle to have a adult conversation with someone trying to tell me that they should they should take Chase Young over Joe Burrow. How about trading out of it for four, five, six picks well, that this I team mean, desperately that, needs? 
but if I don't, it's just that that is that is just that's too like I the parameters of that would have to be in front of me. I mean, I'd have to know a lot more than just picking between two players. I know. It was something we talked about yeah, not, on the radio today. Definitely not. A, I mean, believe me, I'm I'm a draft dork. I'm definitely not against extra picks, and they certainly need them. But um, we did, you know, not to take this off UC stuff. But I um, well, I mean, yeah, we're, I'm, we're, I'm we're, definitely we're almost at an hour and a half. Like, whatever. I'm definitely Burrow over Chase Young. Just the, the impact is. It's far greater for a quarterback than a defensive lineman. That's fair. All right, you got any the uh, the, the introduction of the athletic director? What were your impressions? Yeah, I was just yesterday? gonna. I mean, we uh, he seems very professional, um, and it sounds like that was a goal of President Pinto. I'm not saying that as a a shot to anyone, but um, they made that statement for a reason. Yes. So I don't know. If, I don't know if that's some foreshadowing. People can can read into that what you will. But um, I mean, he seems polished. He seems to under, you know he's been at major programs, being at Syracuse, being at Minnesota. He's worked under Mark Coyle, who I think most in the industry would would see as a as a high level AD. I mean, they've gotten a lot of stuff done at Minnesota in the last three years from a facility standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint. So, you know, I don't, you know, it's hard to get a true read on someone in that position just off of a press conference, but I liked what, I mean, I liked what he said. And, and, you know, it was nice to hear that Ryan Hayes, you know, was public with uh, a contract extension being in the works for Coach Fickle and his staff. Obviously, we all assumed that that was going to be taking place, but there yes. had not there had not been an actual comment on it, or you know, and the time, and even a rough timeline. So you know, you always you know, assuming is can get you burned sometimes. So that was nice to hear, and you know, I think. It'll be, you know, it'll be a big, a big step up for him. You know, usually guys don't get their first head man, head of the table athletic director job at a program like UC. You're usually kind of, you know, working your way up. So obviously something about him was impressive to, to get put into this position. So I'm um, looking forward to you know learning more about him, seeing what he does. I mean, like I said, Minnesota's taken some huge jumps lately, and so hopefully there are some crossovers with you know metro area professional sports teams that you know I would think he could probably bring right over and say this worked for us, it should work here. So I mean, what your thoughts? You know, you were around all day yesterday, whether it was practice. Or there wasn't practice yesterday, but signing day, AD stuff, basketball game. Like, did you, you know, what kind of stuff did talking to people that around the program? What were their first impressions? What were your first impressions? I, I talked to a couple coaches, um, and, and not the uh, the revenue coaches. I, I talked to a couple other coaches because I wanted their perspective, and all of them were very impressed with him. 
and, and felt that of the options that Cincinnati had, he was by far the top choice. Um, the sense I got from him, and I and I, I um, if you heard the the interview I had, I played on on Mo's show today. I asked him about the the Minnesota connection in dealing with that that athletic department in a town that has major professional sports options. And I thought he gave a solid answer. And I think that is something that that is unique to Cincinnati. Not unique, but um, rare in, in the college sports world to Cincinnati. And, and Minnesota had that in common. Um, I think Minnesota had in common, while they are two entirely different people, Hiring P.J. Fleck when you see hired Luke Fickle in that same cycle. And the way that, that Minnesota handled has handled P.J. Fleck and his ascension. And I think he sees with Luke Fickle a similar opportunity to keep a coach. And to make this part of the beginning of his legacy at the University of Cincinnati. Because let's be... 1,000% clear. His job right now is athletic director. There are a lot of facets to his job. His job as athletic director is to keep Luke Fickle at Cincinnati for as long as humanly possible. And he will be judged upon that ability. That's the thing about that position as a whole, and I, and I don't begrudge any fan for looking at it this way, is all I care about is my AD gets good coaches and we win games. All that stuff that they have to do behind the scenes, not something that I concern, I'm concerned with. It's like, you have a good coach, you keep them. Or if you have a bad coach and you got to get rid of them, you better hire a good coach. So, you know, and Mike Bone, to his credit, made some outstanding hires. And now it's up to, you know, John, John Cunningham to keep them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you're going to be judged on. Because I mean, you're not going to be judged on, on John Brandon. That was a Mike Bone hire, right? Yeah, I mean, unless things go bad, then it's up to you to make Well, uh, Yeah, but I'm move, saying but... his success is not going to be tied to you. His success or failure no, right, right. is not something that's going to be tied to you. What is going to be tied to you is going to be how long is Luke Fickle the head coach at Cincinnati? And did this new guy do everything humanly possible to keep Luke Fickle here? Because guess what? If he does, everything else becomes a million times easier. Yeah. Fundraising, ticket sales, non-revenue sports, whatever it is. All of that is easier each additional year that Luke Fickle is the head coach of the Bearcats, and that's the job right now of John Cunningham. So, like it or not, that's the reality of it. Would you agree? No, no, oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, it seems pretty obvious he knows that. I mean. Yes, he does. He clearly does. He's just going to kind of take over the negotiations from a from a true AD standpoint. Yeah. 
I've also um, heard. Met. <laughs> I've also heard. Amy Fickle is every bit as tough as an agent in negotiations. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, you, who do you think knows knows how the books are kept? Right, the coach, and, or, or the, who's who's and, doing? And, or the, it's like she could probably. He would have no idea. And guess what? Amy Fickle's only got one client. <laughs> All of her time can be dedicated to the to the to the Luke Fickle cause. So Right. They got work to do. It's not gonna be easy, but look, man, I and I, I've said this I said this to Tony Pike today. I heard Boston College through the house at Luke Fickle. And there was no I'm sure, reciprocal I'm interest. Sure they, why, I mean, why wouldn't they? What do they have to lose? Right. If they if they were able to get him, that would have been the higher of the cycle. I mean, it would have been, every, you know, their AD would have been lauded as, you know, doing an amazing job. So what does he have to lose? I also heard from three different people, three different people from across the sports landscape contacted me about Arkansas having Luke Fickle at the top of their list. Again, but no reciprocal I have a interest. source that I have a source that can, can that confirms that, and I bet he's not the same source as you have. No, my source one was local, um, the rest were national. So there were quite a few, like. Here's what I don't want mistaken: just because there was never any traction on his name, does not mean Luke Fickle was not at or near the top of the list for every Power 5 job that came open. I mean, here, here here's what we'll say. Look at the Power 5 jobs that became opened. Look at, became open. look at look how who, many of them hired someone below Luke Fickle. And and look who they hired and trying to tell me that, that somewhere in that athletic director's top five wasn't Luke. You right. think he wasn't in Missouri's top five? They hired Eli Drinkwitz, who had one good year at App State. You don't think he was in Arkansas? Like we just said, they end up hiring Georgia's offensive line coach. Yep. You don't think he was in Florida State, even though they went after Mike Norvell? I guarantee you he was discussed as a serious, serious person at Florida State. Obviously Boston College because of the Ohio State AV connection. The reality is everybody wanted Luke Fickle. And there's a reason Luke Fickle's name never got any traction for those jobs, much like his name never got any traction for Maryland and Louisville last year, even though he was at the top of their list. And it's because Luke Fickle is happy in Cincinnati. Let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. It's going to take something. That'll make negotiations easier. When both parties want to get the same thing done, it's much easier to negotiate. Yes. You both have the same end goal. And that end goal for Luke Fickle is sticking around at Cincinnati. And the point for me, the overarching point of this conversation, it's going to take a really big job to get Luke Fickle out of here. Could it happen? I mean, yeah, at some point it's probably going to happen. I think, but, the, I mean, I think there's, I think there's four of them and that's it. We'll find out because as, if any of them come open, 
it's a pretty good chance Luke Fickle's going to be on that list. So we'll see. All right, Dave, we have uh, we've gone very long today. That's all right. That's fine. It's a good good pre pre Christmas one. I mean, what are we gonna have one next week? Are we on Christmas Eve? Uh, I've <laughs> got to fill in. <laughs> I've got to fill in for Mo on the twenty fourth and the twenty sixth. So yeah, I mean, outside of the Iowa game, there's really nothing that we'll have unless something crazy happens and we need to do an emergency podcast. I I doubt we're gonna have one next week, so we went a little over tonight. Yeah, it happens. Oh, well, whatever. All right, brother. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. We'll talk to you next time, whenever that is. Sometime before the Birmingham Bowl. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.